You're listening to DraftKings Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, well, well. Look who decided to watch the Donaghy documentary, LeBron James. Only a part of it, Tom. Only a part of it. Two months late. He said on Sunday, 12:17 a.m. This is what he tweeted. I'm going to be honest. 20 minutes into it, I just had to stop watching Untold Operation Flagrant Foul, especially with having a game tomorrow, and I probably won't finish it until I retire. Can't have my mind feeling away. I really appreciate the disclaimer that he just has to be honest, because I've been watching LeBron James play basketball since 1992. That's been his paramount, is honesty, truth, telling the truth, being straightforward, reading books, finishing things, all things that LeBron James is known for. I think my favorite lie that he's told is the one where the guy is talking about the best advice his coach gave him. I had one coach um, and he used to say, put yourself in situations where you're not in, you're not comfortable. Oh yeah, that's my favorite saying. That's my favorite saying. Why? Why would you tell a lie like that, man? Why would you just say, yo, that's a dumb saying? We're just like, oh yeah, 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 that makes sense. To go so far. You know what's funny? You've seen all these memes now, people making up fake LeBron quotes. Like, hey, I remember right before MLK got shot, I was like, I got a bad feeling about this, right? (laughs) They're awesome. They're awesome. But somehow, they don't outdo the real ones. The ones that actually happen. Like, and I quote, I said Suggs about to hit this as soon as he crossed half court game. He's referring to the game winner that Jalen Suggs hit in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Why? Why can't you just be like, amazing shot by Jalen Suggs. Oh my God. You just got to be inserting yourself into that and try to take credit somehow. He's trying to take credit for Jalen Suggs. Look, LeBron James has been in the public eye since 1912. This is long before we could fact check all of his statements. Mm. So he's just the product of a bygone era where you could say whatever you want, no one would call you on it. It's not his fault. Hey, Maze, what's your favorite scene from The Godfather? My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but- all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> This is Basketball Illuminati. I am Tom Haberstroh, and I am joined, as always, with my six-star Illuminati generals, Amin Hassan and producer Anthony Mays. That's right. I've added a star. It's called a makeup star. All we're doing now is averaging out stars. The conservation of stars? Star can neither be created nor destroyed. If you haven't, at Basketball Illuminati on Instagram, 
at B-Ball Illuminati on Twitter. Go follow us there. We post some new stuff and you can interact with the show and also hit us up at Gmail, basketballilluminati at gmail.com. Email us and give us your tips. If you see something, say something. We've got a big show today. We're going to talk to Ethan Sherwood Strauss of the House of Strauss. He just dropped a big story. Maybe the pedestal was a mistake is the title. Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, Adam Silver, and the NBA's PR malaise. Malaise. That was a really bad pronunciation. You got to do that again. Malaise. Malaise. I know it's malaise. Thank you. So we're going to have Ethan Strauss join us here in a little bit. We're going to do some research. We haven't talked really much about the referees this season, even though they've been in the headlines seemingly every other day. One player was alleging that a referee called him a bitch-ass motherfucker, which uh, you don't see in the NBA headlines quite a bit. Not, not, not frequent. So we're going to do some research on some referees here at the end of the show. But first... You are listening to The Agenda with Tom Haberstroh and Amin Hassan. As the world turns, fellas, another Kyrie update here. Wait, Maze, if the earth is flat, if the world is flat, does it turn? I don't think so, because if the world is flat, seems like the world is it. This is it. There's no turning. The sun's revolving around us. We're going back in time. It's not heliocentric. Earth is the center of everything. Flat earth. Maze, maze, maze. No, you're 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 complaining to two different things. The flat earthers aren't saying that we don't live in a heliocentric solar system. They're not saying that at all. They're just saying it's flat. So yes, it does turn, Tom. Is the sun flat? Well, look, we're talking about the earth right now. This is one conspiracy <laughs> at a time. They're saying that it turns, but it's still flat. Kind of like a pizza maker. When he's got the dough and he's spinning the dough, the dough's flat, but it's spinning. That's what the world looks like. So that would mean there's an undercrust. There's an underside to that. Yeah, that's where all the roots and dirt go down into. They just fall out? Yeah, if you just keep digging, you'll get a hole and you'll fall into space over there. So Kyrie Irving, as the world turns flatly, we've got some updates here. Kyrie Irving has been suspended by the Brooklyn Nets for five plus games contingent on him meeting six different deliverables. Have we ever seen anything like this? That like a suspension is publicly, like internally they might be saying, hey man, if you want to come back, you got to do X, Y, and Z. But we never really hear about the actual bullet points. Do we? Not on the team side, right? Like I think when the malice at the palace happened, those guys had to go through some sort of a community service thing as well beyond their suspensions. Yes, this is odd from a team driven suspension for that to happen this reminds me of kyler murray's requirements in his contract to do independent study and not play video games <laughs> but way more serious here's the list of six requirements the list according to shams one apologize and condemn the film he promoted Two, make a five hundred thousand dollar donation to anti-hate causes three complete sensitivity training Four, complete anti-Semitism training. Which they had to create for this specific case. This is not like, oh, well, let's go to the anti-Semitism training that we have on file. No, this is brand new. Five, meet with the Anti-Defamation League and Jewish leaders. Six, meet with team owner Joe Tsai to demonstrate an understanding of the situation. The meeting with... Joe Psy part reminds me of when I give my kids a set of things that they have to do. The last chore on the list is meet with me so I can confirm that you actually did all these things. You need a notarized statement from yourself. You need to actually verify that the kid did this. It reminds me of Glenn Taylor and Andrew Wiggins, right? Oh, man. Before we sign you to this deal, you need to meet with me and you need to look me in the eye, hold my hand and say, I will try harder on defense. Before I give you this $100 million contract. So which one, Maze, looks to you like the hardest obstacle to clear? Which one looks like the one that's going to be most difficult for Kyrie? I would say demonstrate understanding, Tom. Demonstrate understanding. Because that seems like the one thing that he is not interested in doing. He's not demonstrated. 
That's the one thing he has not demonstrated is understanding. I want to sit on this point that Tom is making, which is the publicization of the six-pronged to-do list. You're suspending him for five games, and then he's got things he's got to do. Why does that part need to be made public? Isn't it to create public pressure? On whomst? On Kyrie. No. No. What pressure? He's suspended. To me, what it does is try to have the optics that you're taking this seriously from the team. That you're in charge. The optics are, I'm in charge. I say what goes. And I want everyone to know that I'm in charge. Now, why do they feel the need to demonstrate they're in charge? And by they, I mean Josiah, really. Because he's the billionaire who had this completely fall apart underneath him. Why did it fall apart underneath him? Because he gave them carte blanche to run the team. He's trying to establish a level of control that he ceded at the beginning of this experiment. When you bring in these players, you say to them, it's your run of the roost. They say they don't like the coach, you got rid of the coach. You got a new coach. They say, hey, we run the team. Hey, we're all coaches. All these things that wouldn't have flown, I won't say in every other organization, but most organizations would be like, the hell with that? No. Right? The old saying, the old story, LeBron to Pat Riley, don't you ever get the itch? And Riley responds, I never get the itch. The Nets didn't do that. They didn't even wait for the prompt of, do you ever get the itch? They started scratching themselves. Mm. And so now, after this carte blanche has gone way, way off the rails, far beyond fire the coach or trade me or any of that stuff, now at the end of it, where it's devastating to the bottom line and it's offensive to the sensibilities of many now he's trying to demonstrate oh, i'm in control i told him and if you don't do these things you ain't gonna play again <laughs> it's too late for that man you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube i mean nope thought it was interesting nike comes in after the suspension and says we're suspending him too and we don't condone all this nike's had a hell of a run recently haven't they they had to take the Tiger Woods statue down. The Lance Armstrong building get changed the name. It's almost like maybe, just maybe, we should just pay these people to wear our products and not suck their dicks at every opportunity we can get. It's a fine line between promotion and dick sucking. I get it. I didn't realize that the Kyrie 8 was supposed to drop this week, today, as we're recording this, that the Kyrie 8s, according to the New York Times, was November 8th. And I'm starting to keep my third eye open here. Like, are we just making up dates at this point to suit the story? Like, we came down hard. We were going to have the Kyrie 8s come out on Tuesday. But you know what? We're not going to let that happen. Because I'm seeing now that there's November 24th. There's November 11th, like Kyrie was saying, November 11th, it was going to come out. And according to the New York Times, it was actually November 8th that the Kyrie 8s were going to come out. And remember, a year ago, Kyrie called these shoes trash, and he was basically disassociating himself from the shoes. And now Nike's pulling that whole Donald Trump when he's like, you're not invited to the White House. And LeBron comes in here and he's like, actually, Steph didn't even want to go to the White House. He wasn't even trying to go. There is no invitation. Actually, Trump said it after Steph said, I'm not going to the White House. That's just the (laughs) most awesome part about that is like, I'm not coming. You know what? You're not coming. Oh, thanks. I just said I'm not coming. If you're going to be a cynic, and I think if you listen to this podcast, you probably have some healthy dose of cynicism in you. The idea is many of the steps that are taken are at best reactionary, at worst performative. Josiah doesn't need to tell us what the logistics of Kyrie's return is. The six prongs of Kyrie, yes. You suspended him, you suspended him. And if Kyrie doesn't meet those things, all right, then he doesn't. But if he does, he's back and that's it. You don't need to tell us. You know, I've killed Kyrie at every turn about this for being a pseudo-intellectual who let his aspirations of being seen as an intellectual overtake his actual desire to, you know, read. (laughs) and learn right but there is a point beyond which the excoriation of Kyrie Irving ceases to be about punishing him and more to be about letting everyone know what a tough son of a bitch I am so Kyrie is going to be a free agent on three levels this upcoming year he is going to be a free agent in actual NBA 
salary cap terms, right? Mm -hmm. He's in his last year of a deal. He picked up the player option, will be a free agent this summer. He's also going to be a Nike free agent this year. And he's also going to be up for re-election in the NBPA union executive board. He is a VP of the union and they do an election every year. They do a vote every year during all-star weekend. And so the players union is going to figure out if he's going to remain part of their executive board here in a couple months in Utah. Lots of fallout from the Kyrie stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if his playing days in the NBA are done, but there's other implications here. Mark Stein reporting Sunday night. League sources say there have been some, quote, strong voices urging Joe Psy to back off the Nets' intent to hire suspended Celtics coach Ime Udoka as Steve Nash's successor. Given the considerable turmoil Brooklyn has already faced this season, Amin, those quotation marks are speaking very loudly. Strong voices urging Joe Psy to back off. What's that about? Wait, Tom, I know there was a lot happening in our last episode. I know that we were constantly getting interrupted by new updates, but Ime Udoka isn't the coach of the Nets yet? That hasn't happened? No, no, no. Woj reported, Adrian Wojnarowski reported a week ago that Ime Udoka could be a finalized as head coach within 24 to 48 hours, and it's been something like 200 hours and still no Ime. And Mark Stein saying that strong voices... Strong voices. Who is that? Is that a Saddam Ilver or who is that? You said Saddam. I was like, Saddam Hussein. (laughs) He's back and he's giving advice apparently. Who's telling Joe Psy to back off? The league has been known to offer subtle advice behind the scenes. The most famous public version of that is when they advised Josh Harris, owner of the Sixers, You want to talk to Jerry Colangelo to help you guys out. Oh, Colangelo's now part of the group. Oh, and here comes Brian Colangelo. Okay. And then Sam Hankey resigns. Yes. That's an example of the league didn't mandate it, didn't tell him, but it was like, look, you're f***ing shit up for us. Do this, right? That might be at play here. It might be. I can't think of who the other strong voices are within the Nets organization. What if it's... Someone saying, why are we going to go through with Ime Udoka, who is very much KD's guy? We reported here on this show that there was a report from Shams in August about KD's trade demand. And at the very bottom of the article was a little hint that he was very, very high on Ime Udoka. So maybe this is actually a different thing happening, which is why are you going to get KD's guy if KD's not going to be here anymore? What if Josiah is now rethinking this whole thing and saying, why are we forcing this? This team is like 13 and 16 over the last two years with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in uniform. To what end? So I'm just saying, keep your third eye open about whether Ime Udoka is in the holding pattern as things quiet down, maybe not do it so soon, or if this is a sign that they may be willing to part with KD. You all think I'm late. Well, I'm not late. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause, even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. There's no better way to overpower a trickle of doubt than with a flood of naked truth. But the complexity in the grave lie not in the truth. But what you do with the truth once you have it. What is true and right is true and right for all. You and I both know that that's just not the truth. You can't handle the truth! It's too messy. Keeps them up nights. I'm here because in the end, the truth is worth the risk. Speak a little truth and people lose their minds. I'm a grown man. You can tell me the truth. Why is it people who want the truth never believe it when they hear it? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something really outrageous. I'm going to tell the truth. Ethan, you in the group chat, I think a week ago when you were starting to conceive this story that you just wrote, it's called Maybe the Pedestal Was a Mistake? Question mark. 
you had asked the question, who invented player empowerment? Who coined it? Yeah. And, and I found out. I did some research. Oh. That's my segment. You can't do that. Ethan did his own research. Yeah, I did my own research. No, you can't take it. I think you and I, Tom, right now, we know who it is, who coined this term that just went everywhere. But I don't think anybody out there knows who it is. My guess would be LeBron somehow. LeBron did it. Well, he did the thing itself, but we're talking about the semantics. We're talking about the term, the etymology. The naming of it, right? Okay. I believe, based on my research, that it was coined by Kevin Arnovitz. Wow! But highly popularized by Bill Simmons. I think you're absolutely right. I think for all intents and purposes, this is Kevin Arnovitz's baby, and we should treat it as such. And it has grown up into this evil thing, right? That you've written about. <laughs> yeah. Wait a second. Why are we talking to Ethan? Can we get Kevin Arnold's on? Because <laughs> he doesn't want to talk to us anymore because he's left and he's- No, he's done. He's doing bigger and better things these days. Mm. Can't get him. Maybe that'll be another episode on Illuminati. Anyway, I did some research. I went to newspapers.com, of which I'm a subscriber, just like I am of House of Strauss. When you type in player empowerment, NBA, and you have quotation marks around the term player empowerment- and you search for the earliest term, I pull up a story from February 23rd, 2011, in the Detroit Free Press. A column by Drew Sharp says, NBA's biggest problem is its unreliable draft. Here's how it starts. You ready, Ethan? Mm -hmm. This is like a fossil here, okay? 2011. It's not as if NBA haters ever run low on reasons for their ire, but Carmelo Anthony finally ditching Denver for New York provides more ammunition. The NBA has become the model for player empowerment. Wow. And that ticks off a lot of people. They're angry that 25-year-old millionaires dare to think for themselves regarding where they play. The most influential stars are turning the league into a caste system, distinguishing the haves from the haven't got a chances. Ooh, that's such a newspapery <laughs> phrase right there. Wow. So it might be Drew Sharp, and I don't think it's the same as Andrew Sharp, friend of the program. So why is player empowerment a failure, a mistake, as you called it, the NBA's PR malaise? I think it's malaise. That's number one. Number two, <laughs> I don't think I said player empowerment's a mistake. I mean, that's a big concept. You said a oh, question mark mistake. Oh, well, I said putting the like, player the player on a pedestal. Sounds like 40-year-old version. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like putting the player on the pedestal is a mistake. See, you see what happened here, Ethan, is that they planted a lot of seeds. <laughs> <laughs> The player empowerment thing, though, let's attack that first. I think one of the issues with it is that it doesn't empower players writ large, and that's a fallacy. It empowered a few players. And to be fair to those players, the NBA is very top heavy in terms of celebrity, in terms of selling tickets, and in terms of winning because there are only five guys on a team. So a star is a big deal. And it was a little bit, I don't know, you could say socialistic and how they distribute the money and how they do the CBA, that there is a max salary. LeBron James would have been making so much more money in his prime than he was paid. So you can definitely understand the perspective of the superstars who wanted more control and more power because they weren't getting paid what they should have been paid in money. So you understand the perspective of it, but it does seem like it got things out of whack and it seemed as though the league became a little bit disordered with guys jumping around and not seeming to have any kind of tether to anything but whatever seems like a good idea in the moment and i think brooklyn might be the apotheosis of it just this hollow team that means nothing to nobody and everybody's miserable so that appears to have been a detour and something that didn't exactly work out at some point do you feel like the stances being made opposite of Kyrie become performative? Mm, yes. Oh, definitely. Depends, though. I feel like you've got a sense on this. So who do you think is being performative right now? Well, I said it already earlier on the podcast. I said Josiah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Not by having a six-point list, but by revealing to the world that there's a six-point list. Are you suggesting that Josiah leaked that, I mean? Yeah, I think we all know that Josai hates Kyrie Irving and that that's part of this. Obviously, Kyrie seems to be about one of the most annoying co-workers anybody could have, and it's understandable. And the movie he shared seems to be absolutely insane. But 
there's no moral authority that Josai has to really impose on Kyrie Irving, given his connections. I think we can say that much when he is basically ripping Daryl Morey for standing up for people in Hong Kong and he's just a total CCP functionary. I mean, two wrongs don't make a right, right. but it's just by what standard does Joe Sai have to dictate morality to Kyrie? And then this is going too far. I think I get it. I understand. Look, I wish people were allowed to say more than they are at many corporations. I don't like when corporations punish people for saying things that might be outside the boundaries, even if I dislike what's being said a lot of the time, but I understand it. I get it. I understand the dynamics behind the Brooklyn Nets saying, we got to fine you. We got to suspend you five games. We play in Brooklyn. You're putting out something that's anti-Semitic. We can't have it. I get it. Where it gets weird is we need to put you through these trainings. You need to disavow the thing. I mean, once you cross over from that territory to punishing you for saying something to you need to actively perform like you believe things you don't actually believe. I just don't understand the benefit to society that we're really accomplishing there. And it does seem, as Amin said, to be rather performative. Should there be a place for people with offensive views in our you know, workforce or whatever? Meaning if, you know, Gordon Hayward is a virulent racist, right? <laughs> if, if. <laughs> if any one of these guys has views that hopefully as mainstream society find to be repulsive or repugnant, should we prevent them from playing if they keep those views to themselves? In my ideal society, we would just allow people to say what they say. I don't like the modern neurotic impulse to freak out about, oh my God, the rubes might go crazy because they heard this opinion. I don't like that reaction, but I want to quote something one of my commenters mentioned, and I didn't even know about it. I wish I knew about it when I wrote it back in the 90s. I think it was the 90s. Charlie Ward. Was in the 90s? It was like 2000 or 2001. It was early 2000s. He said the Jews killed Jesus. <laughs> I was talking about this with Benny Goodwill the other day. I was like, is this like buried now? Because that was like a huge New York Times. New York Times magazine, yeah. Well, I vaguely, vaguely remember it. And the commenter says, and I'm reading a comic, guys, so this isn't totally accurate, whatever. Stern said that he would not discipline Ward for remarks in which he claimed Jews killed Jesus and, quote, persecute Christians every day. Ward also called Jews stubborn. I mean, that's really yeah. funny to me. <laughs> I do find you to be stubborn, Ethan, I must admit. I don't know if that represents your entire faith, but— You killed Jesus— you're a little bit stubborn. You know, like, let's be real. A little bit stubborn. You can work on that. First one, I don't think you can do anything about. The second one, you can maybe you can maybe do something about it. So anyway, Stern said, maybe we'll do the Stern voice, like, Ward would have been better off not to have uttered his uninformed and ill-founded statements, but I do not wish to enhance his sense of martyrdom by penalizing him for giving them public voice. He will have to accept the reactions and judgments of fans and all fair-minded people who have been offended. I like that. Isn't that weird that super disciplinarian, draconian David Stern didn't inflict his judgment or punishment on someone who I believe to be way more married to that anti-Semitic thought than Kyrie is to his perhaps anti-Semitic thought? Well, Kyrie likes the Jews because he's stubborn and they're stubborn, as we've established. <laughs> so I think that he has more positive vibes. But the line that Stern used that is amazing to me, he always has a, a way with words, but the fact that he says, I do not wish to enhance his sense of martyrdom. <laughs> yeah, That's great. Do you think that might be happening right now? Uh, just a bit. Just a little bit. It's the worst way to handle it, too. It just if somebody is espousing beliefs or buying into this idea that these people, it's a tricky problem because you want perhaps some form of punishment. But when it gets, again, too extreme and you've got to do the song and dance with the ADL and everything else, it is counterproductive for the reasons that Stern noted. And I think David Stern handled the Charlie Ward situation perfectly, as evidenced by how Barely anybody outside of New York remembers it. It's the Norm Macdonald thing that you put in your... Uh... <laughs> Spicy joke. Well, earlier this week, actor Marlon Brando met with Jewish leaders to apologize for comments he made on Larry King Live. Among them that, quote, Hollywood is run by Jews. The Jewish leaders accepted the actor's apology and announced that Brando is now free to work again. It's a very clever joke. You knew Stern. Can you tell the people your relationship with Stern in his later years? He was my lover. <laughs> 
I can't say that I knew him that deeply, but I would call him up. It started when I was trying to report the sale of the Warriors story because there are a lot of tricky machinations there. And the way he would go about things was so funny because he would not confirm certain things, but he would not deny certain things. And that was just a little bit of a a way I could know about it. Cat and mouse. Yeah. When I came to him, when I got word that he had yelled at Scott Skiles and, and dressed him down in that classic way, when Skiles said they didn't want cameras in the locker room and he said, with all due respect, David, uh, the locker room is kind of our, our sacred space. And, and Stern went, oh, you know, it's Sacred space. Well, on the one hand, we've got uh, billions of dollars from our broadcast partners. And on the other hand, we have Scott and Scott. Shut the f- up. Sit the f- down. I want to hear the f- word out of you. And just humiliated him. <laughs> I like that they have all the coaches in that room just leaning <laughs> just, back like this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I brought that to him, it was, I have no memory of the incident, but I also cannot deny it. It's like, okay. <laughs> but I would just talk to him. I had a few conversations with him and they were great conversations conversations over the phone for over an hour. And there's just such a rhythm and a banter to it because he would really, he would really go at you and insult you and just try to see if you could take it and just kind of play with it a little bit. He would tell me, uh, because I worked for the NBA at a college in PR and I quit, but in Stern's mind, he just refused to acknowledge that I had quit. So he would always say when he was criticized, he'd be like, that's why we fired you. I was like, you didn't fire me, Matt. That's why we did it. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we did it. But anyway, how would he handle it? I think he would handle it in the way he did in the early 2000s. But some have argued counter argument that no, he couldn't do that in the modern era with Twitter. Right. Because things have changed in terms of the way society reacts to these things. I mean, I guess the bigger question would be, would David Stern ever preside over an NBA that feels beholden to social media the way Adam Silver's NBA does? When we ask that question, we act as though there's just one Stern. I think a 50-year-old Stern and a 75-year-old Stern might handle it differently. When you're older and there's a new technology, I think a lot of the times the older you are, the more you bend to it. Yeah. And the less you stick to your guns. Yes. I've seen it. Yeah. You just don't understand what's happening. But I still think that's the right way to handle it. It's not just I don't understand what's happening. It's I don't understand what's happening and I don't want to present Mm. The image that I'm out of touch. Yes. That the shit has passed me by. So yeah, yeah, oh yeah, no, well, let's go with it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, somebody gave the analogy with a lot of the controversies these days. I think it was Wesley Yang, the writer, put it out there that when they showed the first movie, they had this train coming and everybody jumped out of their seats and ran out of the theater. Because they thought, ah! Like a train's about to come hit us. (laughs) Yeah, they had to be acculturated to realize that there's no train. And there are some legitimate controversies that spiral, but a lot of time it's the train. And if you understand that, you can be patient and wait out a lot of these things. And there's just going to be something new next week. Now, the problem with Kyrie Irving is he might provide the new thing next week. That's the issue. Yes, there's always a new thing. I will hold on to this forever. He could have made it go away like that. Oops, my bad. Didn't really actually watch the thing. Oh, in retrospect, whoa, this is really problematic. And that would be that. But his insistence on maintaining what I like to call like contact with it, right? Yes. As if to disavow it, he might let someone down on that side. So it's like, let me just right here, keep a fingernail on it. So I can always claim, oh yeah, I never really, <laughs> never really let go of the rope altogether. I just kind of like leaned away from it. That's what fueled all of this. And the bigger problem when you do that is the transition of this story from being a basketball story to being a story story. Yeah. I'm always reminded of Bomani Jones telling the story about, I'm, you know, this talking head on ESPN. I write this column. Everyone knows who I am. Like, I'm really well known. And then there was some news story. I want to say it was about Donald Sterling, but not the last straw Donald Sterling, but some other shit. Ooh, that would be a good title for a Donald Sterling, Fall Donald Sterling documentary, like The Last Dance. The Last Straw? The Last Straw. Ooh, that'd be good. But Bomani, as a result, was asked to come on MSNBC. And he said at that moment, that's when he realized, oh, nobody knew who the f- I was. Now this is people know who you are. 
So there's a line in your story, which I loved. It would all be so much easier if Adam Silver could say, quote, that's Kyrie over there. And this is basketball over here. Instead, he bundled all of it into one product to be faded at the South by Southwest <laughs> conference. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he would talk about the NBA at the South by Southwest. I'm really sympathetic to Silver, by the way. I think he's a smart guy. And in a way, I'm fascinated because I feel as though he followed certain incentives that made sense and it became a road to hell. And he was getting so much positive coverage for the idea that his NBA was different and that part of the product was the players themselves and their individuality and their messaging on politics. And I think additionally, it was very easy because Trump was such an easy foil to kind of position them against Trump or for players to position themselves against Trump. And it has gotten to a point where when you have somebody like Kyrie Irving saying crazy things, you can't just extricate it. You can't just say, hey, that's just some crazy stuff he said. And we we have a basketball league over here because he's bundled the product all into one thing. And I think it's been a mistake. And additionally, I think it's been a mistake and it's gone wrong because of the personalities involved. I mean, Steph Curry, his politics are no different from LeBron's. But I don't see people really mad at Steph or having an issue with Steph. I think some of the problem is that LeBron is such a transparent phony and so unlikable in how he communicates a lot of what he's saying to people that it's had a drag on the league's popularity. The AT&T ad where he's going with, what's her name? Lily. Lily. They're not in the same room. They're not. There's a moment when he gets up and walks away and she's staring in the other direction. <laughs> I'm sitting there watching that ad and it's ubiquitous. Like that ad is on my TV like every 30 seconds. Okay. Yeah. That's the best they could come up with. Why even have LeBron in that ad? Like, what is the LeBron spin in that ad? There's nothing. LeBron's just in every single ad now. Yeah, the Ruffles ad is the best one. The very deep and inspirational Ruffles ad is my favorite LeBron ad. We're all made of different things. Bridges that make us who we are. Mold us. Now these things... We can keep them hidden away. We can let them defeat us. Or we can embrace them. Nobody believes it. There's nothing real to it. It's all been a work. It's all been an attempt by Nike to position him as somebody who's socially significant and socially important. And if we just take ideology out of it, which is very difficult to do, some people are good at that and some people are resonant with it. I think that Kaepernick was organically somebody who was resonant. Whatever you think about him, whatever you think about the things he said, he was organically somebody people said, hey, that guy's saying some stuff, and I think he's genuine in what he's saying. Nobody believes it with LeBron. He comes off so insincerely. There are all these running tallies and all the different lies he tells for no reason, where he pretends to watch a soccer game he didn't watch. He pretends to read a book he didn't read. He pretends to watch The Godfather. He didn't watch The Godfather. Which is the, the scene or, or the moment or the phrase or the quote you like more from the movie? Oh, from The Godfather. Uh, um, it's so many different phrases uh, and too many different lines in that movie to just uh, categorize one. It's hard to have the face of your league just for no reason at all being so fake all the time. And it's a tragedy because I don't think he's a bad guy. It just seems like somebody around him should have said, this isn't working. You're not that guy, pal. We got to image craft something else. I don't think he's any more fake than Michael Jordan. Oh, I don't know. Man, Michael Jordan was as fake as they come. The difference is his opportunities to present mm. were so much more limited. Overexposure, yeah. Commercial, press conference, one movie. That's it. So he's a victim of his time is what you're saying? Yeah. There's something to what Amin is saying. There's an overexposure because I remember in The Last Dance, they showed Jordan after the gambling rumors and he's wearing the sunglasses and he's kind of going a little bit crazy and he might be talking about himself in the third person. And there was a lot of heat on him and he was starting to crack, but there was no social media. Whatever happened kind of settled down. After they played the next game and he did like whatever, like, oh, remember that? Yeah, exactly. There's a level of it for sure. 
Like, LeBron self-selects himself into a lot of this dumb shit. He's addicted to attention. Yeah, but the reality is, Tom, many of these avenues, if this was 25 years ago, he wouldn't have these avenues to self-select into. Right, right. Even if he did want to be a social justice icon. I think at some point he realized he can't beat Michael at his own game. Basketball? <laughs> Six and O championships, playing for the Chicago Bulls. But Michael's a sellout is the knock on Michael. He wanted to be more than an athlete, strive for greatness and not just on the court, off the court. I'm not even going to play Michael Jordan at his own game. I'm going to change the game. And so the player empowerment era, more than an athlete going from the Cavs to Miami, not from Miami directly to the Lakers. I'm going to go back to Cleveland and then go to the Lakers and win a championship at each place and try to do the thing that Michael could not do, which is win in two different locations. It seems like to me on the politics side, wasn't it him who was stumping for Hillary Clinton in Ohio and it seemed to be a huge win and then it didn't actually move the needle that LeBron James could not bring Ohio for Hillary. Yeah, we've we've learned that people actually, even if they like celebrities, when the celebrity tells them how to vote, they go, well, well, you're a celebrity. I don't care. It's just not going to really determine the decision. And yet there is this neurotic, again, feeling of you've got a platform. You've got to use your platform. Why aren't you using your platform? If you're not using it, then it's bad. That really crept into how people express themselves to the public and it just made things a little bit heavier. But yeah, I don't think there was so much of a problem with how he was handling things before, but there was an amount of praise that he got from the media for doing it. And when you read back in 2018, after Laura Ingram tells him to shut up and dribble, there's just no negativity at all about LeBron expressing himself in these ways. But I think everybody's kind of moved on to this point where even people who vote the same way as LeBron in the media, the fakeness has just become such a problem that everybody's just kind of tired of it. Nobody really is asking for more of it at this particular juncture. And he's sort of just in an odd spot because his career is amazing. But this whole move to the Lakers, even if they won a championship, quote unquote. Whoa! Case skip. LeBron might not get this reference, but kind of feels like Godfather Part 3, LeBron and the Lakers. <laughs> it's just this thing nobody really wanted, nobody really needed. It just feels awkward. It's not fun. That's the one that should have gone the other way. People are going, oh my God, LeBron James, biggest player, biggest brand, the Los Angeles Lakers. It's going to be such a thing and nobody really is that into it. It's just the whole LeBron thing feels like a wearing out of the welcome, which is so unfortunate because when people hated LeBron, he was a lot of fun, just like straight up hated him. That was great in 2010. And when people really into him afterwards, that was a lot of fun. Now it's just, I don't know. It's the whole thing is weird. And I think it has to do with some of the things I'm talking about. I think it has to do with what Amin is saying, which is that we don't want too much exposure to these people. They're very fallible. They've got their foibles and they become addicted to attention. And that's not fun. Even on a non-ideological level, when you when you log into Twitter and LeBron's going, ooh, should I declare eligibility to play a college sport? What college sport should I play? Oh, go away. <laughs> yeah, it feels beneath him. It humanizes him in a way that's like, oh, you're just a dumb asshole like everybody else on this stupid ass app, right? Uh, like, you want my love? Gross. Why would you want that? Michael Jordan wouldn't even spit on me. That's how little he thought of me. That's what people are into. That's what they want. He wouldn't go play another sport. No way. He wouldn't have interest <laughs> in a sport other than basketball. <laughs> he would, Tom, but he would never, ever ask us dumb schmoes what we thought about it. He'd just do it. Exactly. He would just listen to David Stern and say, yes, I'll go play baseball. Yeah, that's what he would do. Take a suspension like a man. <laughs> <laughs> the lack of opportunity to express yourself looks like a certain stoicism, mm -hmm. but it was just that era where you didn't really have the avenues. And we want our heroes to be a little bit stoic. We love that Jeter is boring, but stoic. Dude, I heard Michael Jordan tell this story. I was literally in the room. He told this story. Michael Wilbon was a moderator and he asked him something along the lines of like, yo, does it bother you that all the stars now, the players now, they're all buddy-buddy and stuff. And Michael Jordan was like, no, I mean, we were friends with guys that weren't on our team. Me and Patrick Ewing were really good friends. It's like, the difference is, if I came home from a game, I couldn't pick up my phone and call Patrick Ewing. Yeah. First of all, I'd have to pick up the paper and see who were the Knicks playing today. Are they on the road or at home? If they're on the road, what hotel are they at? I don't know. Like, the... 
opportunity for me to contact Patrick Ewing after a game. Technology would not allow us to be friends. Well, we were friends, but it didn't allow us to be like buddy, buddy at all times. I didn't have those opportunities. And I think about that a lot whenever I'm shitting on LeBron or people are shitting on LeBron, I should say. On one hand, yeah, man, he is addicted to it and and seeks it out and self-selects into a lot of these missteps. On the other hand, it's like if I was walking down a hallway and there was only one door to walk out of, you could never blame me for walking out of the wrong door. There was only one door Mm. versus a bunch of doors in the hallway. Oops, oh, didn't mean to go in there. Well, yeah, because they were available to me in a way that wasn't available to someone else who walked down that hallway earlier. Yeah. I mean, I've got sympathy just because child star, this amount of attention, it's hard to see it working out that great in many instances. He is the greatest child star in history. Yeah. In terms of being successful and also turning out, going to sound weird, reasonably normal. Yes. But that's why Adam Silver, I think, has a role to not be so indulgent, that you got to play your role. Give them something to rebel against, you know? Don't just go with the flow. Be the dean in the college movie. That's your role. That's your job, to be the dean everybody hates. Don't be the nice dean. That's just not good. That's not good. Kumbaya, let's all hold hands and sing songs together, dean. Yeah, no one's respecting that guy. They want you to be Dean Dunn in Teen Wolf 2. Like, I don't like you, and I got my eye on you. I don't even know why. I haven't done anything. I just got here. That's your role. That's your role as commissioner. And I think false praise is cruelty with the time release and that when he was really talking these guys up and he's like, oh, my God, LeBron, I'm just so – the way he expressed it, da, 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 da. I said, no, you should just say, I don't like when Fox News hosts attack our guys – and they've got a right to say what they say, and that's as far as it goes. But once you start comparing him to Bill Russell and you know everything else, then you're you're kind of inflating the idea that this is a good way to go, and you're pretending he's good at this. He's not good at this. He's not good at it. He's bad at it. And so it's not a great road to go down there, and then you suggest that maybe everybody should go down the road, and lo and behold, what do we have? We have Kyrie Irving doing Kyrie Irving things. I feel like Giannis, we have a good chance with Giannis. Well, that's another dynamic when we talk about the technology. Number one, Nike is failing on Giannis, and we'll get into that. Haven't you guys learned anything? What? Giannis has some shit that's going to blow everybody's mind as well. We just don't know what it is yet. Of course. Because we look at Giannis in a very simplistic way. Oh, the guy with an accent, he came to America and discovered smoothies. (laughs) Like, he's fitting into that box that everybody loves, and because he's not front and center... We haven't done the 24-hour news cycle dig deep into every aspect of his life. I guarantee you, when we do that, we'll find something. That's like, oh, Giannis thinks that like kittens are also Satan's minions or some shit like that. It's going to happen. I think something is interesting there. When we talk about the technology and Michael Jordan not being able to really hang out with Patrick Ewing, a lot of GMs who run small market teams, they want dudes from out of country. They don't want Americans because the American players in the cell phone era have these deep bonds through guys that they played AAU with and they have friends and they can maybe go to another team, conspire against you and choose a team. That sounds like a nice cover for I'm awful at my job. It's the cell phones and their friends that do this, (laughs) not me mismanaging shit. But do we expect Jokic? Do we expect Jokic to go anywhere? You know, I think that's what they're looking at. Yeah, it might be an excuse, but it's also just observing that these dudes who come over from Europe, they don't have a bunch of friends in the league and they don't have a bunch of friends in the league. They might shrug and go, "Okay, I guess I'm here now. You know, I guess this is what I'm doing. And Giannis, you know, there are those rumors that he might leave, but he hasn't. But Nike is screwing up because that clip of Giannis. That should have been an ad. That's a great ad. I cannot have everything in life. Cannot have everything. Cannot be handsome. Beautiful kids, beautiful wife, great family, great teammate, great coaching staff, handsome, athletic. I cannot have everything in life. I cannot make threes, too. God had to keep me humble. God said, basically, cannot make threes. Can't shoot. Stay humble, my God. Dominating the paint, rebounds, dunking on people, Euro-stepping. I had to stay humble somehow. That right there is a great self-generated ad, and how is that not everywhere? How was an ad campaign not everywhere immediately after he won the championship? I mean, we know why. It's LeBron. But why? It should have been. (laughs) It should have been.
How did I become such a LeBron hater? I loved LeBron in 2010. I wanted him to win and make everybody cry. I think that would have been the funniest outcome. It made me sad when he didn't, but here we are. Here we are. That's Ethan Strauss. Thank you so much. And here you go. We got to kick you out because we got to wrap this up here. The House of Strauss, go subscribe. You can also read it. If you just email me and be very nice, I will copy and paste it and send it to you. Oh, my God. Hey, here's an idea, Ethan. How about you promote your appearance on this show to your billions of subscribers? How about that? How about my friends don't rob me? How about that? That's also maybe a good idea to throw out there. (laughs) Sounds like a good quid pro quo. (laughs) But anyway, yes, I will do whatever a meme wants me to do when it comes to promotion. Thanks for having me, guys. You have to sit down with the ADL. Yeah, you got six (laughs) things they got you to do. You need to demonstrate some understanding, Ethan. That's my favorite one. You know why? Because it's totally subjective. Yeah. You have to demonstrate an understanding to the owner. If he doesn't want you to demonstrate it, he's going to come down and say, you're not done. It sounds like a Curb Your Enthusiasm scene where it's like, okay, and I've given my understanding. And just, I guess, no, I don't think you understood. I think I understood. That's understanding. No, no, no. Oh, you don't think, you don't think I've understood? Oh, look at me. I haven't understood anything. Oh. That's what Kyrie needs to do. He needs to watch a season of Curb to atone for the anti semitism What does that look like? You doing your own research? Are you doing studies yourself? Are you in the lab on a nightly basis? What are you doing? Do your own research. Do your own research. Do your own research. Do your own research. Doing your own research. I'm not a scientist. I'm not here to tell everyone that this is it. For me, it's just um, just giving everyone a chance to do their own research and find their own knowledge. Thank you to Ethan Strauss for joining us on Truth Tellers this week. We're now going to hit a topic that he has asked me to write many a times on his site, but I refused because I want to bring it here. I have done some research. Regale us with the research you've done, Tom. The illumination out there, the citizens. You might remember my enlightening referee story from back in March that revealed the NBA makes sure its best referees go to the marquee teams that are on national TV a lot. Remember where we figured out the system, we cracked the code, which referees go to which games, and we figured out the NBA gives preferential treatment to certain NBA teams. I remember. You gave them scores and everything. It was fun. It was one of our our signature episodes, one episode you could go back to and listen to because I find it to be rather evergreen in content nature. You might also remember a Moratatouille episode. Yes, Marat Kogut. Marat Kogut, last Thursday, he was back on the Warriors shit. Oh, man. (laughs) Mays, Thursday night against the Magic. They're in like a four-game, five-game slide. And look who is refing that game. They find out it's Marat Kogut. And sure enough, they lose by a point. And one of those points is a result of a technical foul, a T by the hands the fingers of Marat Kogut against Steve Kerr, who said, you guys are embarrassing. You're a joke. And the Warriors lose another game with Marat Kogut. Marat Kogut, not a great ref by the NBA standards. Very rarely does he get the assignments, the marquee assignments, but he did get that one. And now the Warriors, and in their last 16 games with Marat Kogut, they are 5-11 and 11 and 4-12 and 12 against the spread. They have covered just 25% of their games that are refereed by Marat Kogut. But that is not the research that I'm going to deliver for the audience here. What else you got, Tom? Got more? If you haven't listened to that breakdown of all those referees and that data, go back and listen to the Tom Did His Own Research segment on March 2nd. The episode was titled Zion's Landing. I created a numerical system where I tracked which teams were assigned the best referees, the NBA's referee assignments, which are posted every morning for all to see. They follow a distinct pattern. I created a number called ref score, which I think I called referee rating, but I'm not rating the referees like subjectively. So I decided to call it referee score. Anyway, the NBA assigns three referees to every game and each referee is assigned one of three roles. 
the crew chief, that's the leader, the referee, that's the number two in command. And thirdly, lastly, the umpire, which is the bottom rung on the ladder. Umpires are typically your rookie referees just breaking into the NBA or kind of the, the Scott Walls if that name rings a bell, who are kind of older referees that are just barely hanging on by a thread. I mean, likes to point out, these are not my designations. Nope. This is the league telling you who everyone is. These are codified by the NBA and it's common nomenclature. So what I did was every time a referee was named a crew chief, I gave that referee five points. Referee, I gave it three points. Umpire one point. Then I tallied up all the points and found the best referees have 5.0 ratings. There are referees out there that are like five-star generals, not six-star generals, five-star generals. They tend to be the longest tenured referees, the Zach Zarbas of the world, the James Capers of the world. They work the NBA finals. Those are your 5.0 referees. And what I found was the illumination out there will remember that the Lakers and the Warriors received preferential treatment by the NBA. They got the best referees. And it seems a lot of that was because of what I mean. What do the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors do that maybe the worst teams in the NBA do not? National TV games, Tom. That is correct. The NBA chooses who goes on national TV, and the NBA also chooses which referees work those national TV games. And what you find is, last year, the teams with the worst referees, Orlando, Oklahoma City, Detroit, Houston, Washington, they were almost never on national TV. And in statistics terminology, just a little heads up here, a little bit of math, 73% of the variability in referee score could be explained solely by the number of times a team was on ESPN, ABC, or TNT. Translation, if you are not a marquee team, good luck with the refs. So that was March. I found that the NBA was biased in their referee assignments. And I know the league office saw that research or at least heard about it on this podcast and then saw the research that I published on my Twitter feed. And it was not clear at that point whether they were going to do anything to correct the bias or what exactly they were going to do about it. This idea that like the marquee teams are going to get the best referees. Let me ask a philosophical question. Should they want to change that? Wouldn't they want the best referees on the quote-unquote best games? For competitive balance, no. It's bad optics for the San Antonio's, the Detroit's of the league. Isn't it worse optics to have bad refs on national TV games? Like when people see actual bad refereeing happening? I don't know that, that the average fan can discern who's a good referee or a bad referee. I think they're just referees and they all just think that they're corrupt. I don't know if like the average fan can discern difference between a good referee and a bad one. But anyway, the NBA had the off season to fix it and level the playing field. So the Detroit's of the world had the same quality referees as the golden States of the world. And what do we see now? 10 games in the bias is alive and well is back. The bottom seven teams in referee score, Toronto, Charlotte, Orlando, Detroit, Cleveland, Oklahoma City, and San Antonio. Wow, it's the Wembenyama sweepstakes. <laughs> those teams, those seven teams, have a total of one national TV game combined in their first 10 games this season. And that was Cleveland, Boston. By the way, Cleveland should be on national TV way more than just once. That was Cleveland and Boston back on November 2nd. That was an awesome game. The top seven teams in referee score, on the other hand, Phoenix, the Lakers, Brooklyn, Houston, Clippers, Golden State, New York. Houston? Isn't that weird? Slipped in there, huh? So, remember, when you feel like your team, if you're rooting for the Pistons, you're rooting for the Magic, you're rooting for the Thunder, you feel like you're not getting your fair share of referees, or every time you watch a game, it feels like you're getting the bottom of the barrel referees. You are not seeing things. You are not imagining it. It is real. This effect is still in effect <laughs> this season. So remember, there is no other podcast that is going deep on the referees. And we hear it from the fans. It's the thing that they want to hear about. Tell me more about how the NBA operates. And this is one of those things that was not out there until Basketball Illuminati. So you better keep that third eye open.
Ethan, Ethan, the most pressing question of the day. If the world is flat, if the earth is flat, hmm. does it turn? Ooh, yeah. I hadn't even really thought about that. If this, then that question. I say no. I say we're just floating. I say gravity, not even a thing. We make our own rules. Why would it need to turn if it was flat? That's my question. Why would it need to turn? Right. I'm with you. I'm with you, Ethan. Because if it's flat, this is it. <laughs> and I guess in this construction, the sun just takes a little sleepy break every day. It just gets dim. Just a little dimmer switch. The sun's going around us. I got the sun still going around. <laughs> we're still rotating around the sun. It's just, it's a disc. It's a CD? It's a disc? Like pizza dough. Like being spun in the air by a pizza maker. I like that. Is the earth a square? No, it's round. It is hard to imagine that it's flat when nobody's ever fallen off of it. But I'm sure there's an explanation. That you know of. Yeah, that I know of. I'm sure there's an explanation of it. Ethan, we're not asking you whether the earth is flat. <laughs> We've established that. That's already known. That's a fact. <laughs> now knowing that, I want you to move forward in this. Take everything you've learned about science and gravity and yes. knowledge of the universe and, yeah. and flatten it. I sometimes have the thought to myself, because I have a four-year-old, that there are so many things that I could just make up. I would never do it because it would be very counterproductive, but it is funny to think I'm living with somebody I can have conversations with and I could just establish that. And that would be his conception of things if I just really stuck to my guns, that the earth is flat and anything, anything, I could invent anything. There's no such thing as a tiger. A tiger is a made-up animal. It's just like, whatever. Every father has a tyrannical amount of power. <laughs> it is true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's seen a tiger, though, so that is a bit of an issue. But I'm sure I could make up other things. Oh, you guys said that wasn't a tiger. <laughs> that wasn't a tiger. You thought it was a tiger. Nope. <laughs> no, it was just a lion that they painted. <laughs>